Here y'all come on in, take your shoes off, sit on down. Y'all listening to In the Corner, back by the woodpile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. This here is the second installment of the podcast series, Ride Around. The program is where a guest and I drive around some locale and tell the stories associated with particular places. On this episode, we're getting a tour of Hopkins County, Kentucky, and our guide is a feller that we'll call Buck Stomp. And Buck is going to talk to us about the nature of deer, growing up in a gun shop, Confederate school mascots, the war stories of veterans, training the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the exotic potted plants of Dawson High School. We're starting this uh, adventure off at West Hopkins School. It's West Hopkins Elementary now. Started out as a high school and uh, it was West Hopkins Rebels for a long time up until I'd say about 97, 98. Then they consolidated for Central High School over on the other end of the county and moved everybody from here over there and made this an elementary school. They combined Dalton, Nebo, Manitou, and Charleston. As a kid, even when my father was here and me little, these fields around the school used to be full of different things, corn, tobacco, mm-hmm. and they had a tobacco barn that sat right back here in the wood line. They'd smoke it, and that was actually part of the FFA program. Corn and tobacco was some of our big cash crops around here. They can't do that now. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it goes against everything. But for our end of the county, everybody's pride and joy to be known as a West Hopkins rebel. Like North, they were all proud to be Maroons, and then you had South Hopkins High School. That, mm-hmm. When they combined all of us, I tried to go to the consolidated school. I stayed about a half a semester, and I moved to Dawson because nobody wanted to be together. The parents didn't want us mixed together. The students didn't want to be mixed together. Even while I was there, the students would still wear their colors from their old schools. Technically, what town are we in? This is called Rabbit Ridge area. Uh, it's just a small community. This is uh, the west end of Hopkins County. I had a good football coach while I was here, and uh, my history teacher, she also done some athletics. They got me introduced into weightlifting and running and stuff. Up until that, the only thing I had actually gotten into was just baseball. The mascot was a Confederate soldier. The drawing, the picture they used for that Confederate soldier was done by my father. Oh, really? And he was a high school student out here. Of course, nowadays, that's kind of frowned upon. It is, but the thing was, I mean, there was mixed population here at the school, and they were just as proud of it as we were. The one thing I was always told in school about it, and the one thing they always always emphasized there, that's not what the colors of that flag stood for. There's a lot of ups and downs. Uh, It's the red, white, and blue on it, just like the American flag as far as the colors. I can't tell you word for word exactly what each color stands for, but it was not the Confederacy's main flag for what they wanted their country to be. It started out as a battle flag. The original one was white with a small rebel banner in the top left corner, and it kind of grew bigger, but it was strictly a battle flag. It represented what they called the rebel crowd. Their state championships flags which was on that rebel flag hung in the gym for a few years after it was an elementary school as a memorial to it being a high school for a long, long time. And through 
nature and the way things are and the way people feel about it, the school system eventually took them down to avoid any controversy or anything within the school system. The deer generally get out here. You can see them just about any time. It just depends on the weather and the days and how they're feeding. But in the fall, whenever the bucks, the male deer, they run in bachelor groups, they call them. When they start splitting up and start following the does and everything, in the fall is when we start seeing them more often. Of course, food sources are dying out. They're looking for more. It's also the reason you see more of them is because of hunters and more people are getting into the woods preparing to hunt and stuff, that kind of stirs them up. Farmers bringing in their crops and stuff, that'll stir them up and get them moving around. So if you drive through any state where there's a lot of deer, in the fall is when they seem to be dead all, all over the side of the road because they're running out in front of people. Well, not only that, late fall into the first of winter is also whenever they come into rut, so call it, they begin to mate. So that uh, puts a lot of pressure on the doe from the bucks to move around and they keep them <laughs> running. So the does are running from the, the bucks? Yes, yeah. they do a, a chase. Like me and my dating life. <laughs> when a rut comes in full boom, the bucks get stupid. Uh, I personally have been standing in a field and had one walk out just feet from me that was after a doe had just run by and he looked at me and then stuck his nose back to the ground on her trail and didn't even care I was standing there. He just, he had one focus on his mind and that's it. Uh, We've all been there. For the trophy hunters that want to hunt the big deer with the big racks, that's the best time to catch them because they're not paying attention to anything else but that woman. You have a deer stand, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You were telling me one time about how deer are very curious. They are very curious. Something got into me one time when it come to my hunting that uh, I just started buying books about deer, biology books, uh, just any type of book somebody wrote about deer and I started reading them. And I started learning how they worked, why they done things they done and stuff. But different smells, they're curious about that, uh, different noises. So when you're up in the stand, are they aware you're there? Sometimes they are, sometimes they ain't. I've had some deer come up and see me and then go on about their business because they didn't feel I was a threat. And then I've had some deer identify me and they went on alarm right away and run off. You just never know what the environment was gonna be like. We tend to say that if a deer's been shot at before, if a deer has learned that there can be danger from up above, then uh, they tend to look up in the trees to see. A deer will stomp when they see you or if they don't know what something is, they'll stomp and blow. And one of the things I've kind of read and learned and experimented with myself and found it to be true to what I've seen is if a deer doesn't know what you are, it stomps and blows, it's waiting for a response from another deer. Because if it's another deer, that deer's going to stomp and blow back. Uh, I have actually stomped on the ground and blowed myself with some woods in between us or brush or something and the deer actually come back down and kind of grazed on off. It didn't bolt and run away. I've never had any success in stalking one right. any further like that, but yeah. it did allow me once or twice to go ahead and quietly move on up and get into my stand without making any more alarm or notice that I was there. But I have shot a deer before, climbed down into my stand, took my jacket off, hung it up on the stand, and went and got the deer I shot. When I come back into the field, 
I had another young doe that was standing there smelling of my jacket. Huh. I mean, it's, I've had deer come up smell of the stand while I was in it and not get alarmed. It's just different scents and triggers, I think, that it takes to make them think that there's a possibility of danger. Charleston area. We're on the backside of Peter Houghton Road. This is an area that I grew up in all in this area roaming the woods. When I was growing up, three-wheelers had just come about. I mean, there wasn't a lot of them, so it was not a big deal for me as a kid on foot walking. Uh, I loved to fish as a child, and I could walk pretty much any water hole around here, water source owners would let me get on their property and fish they'd tell us what to stay away from or you know don't be here don't do that and you'd listen I mean it's different from what it is today kids just you tell them something and they look at you like you're stupid but as three-wheelers and stuff come about in this area and everything people got to riding more and more in packs and then of course the drinking come with it they'd ride and drink stop and build a bonfire on somebody's property and leave all their trash and as it did the area got to be marked up with no trespassing signs people started building more fences and now it's it's almost impossible you have to really really know somebody or uh, be a family member to get on somebody's property they're scared to death somebody's going to tear up something steal something or uh, or get hurt get so. hurt for a lawsuit one of the biggest things i've hated to see in this particular area in the road that we're on is a lot of this property as it's come up for sale uh, of course with the increase of land value there's been companies come in uh, mossy oak realtree uh, whitetail properties i think it's over in hopkinsville i've seen them down this way they've picked this stuff up and promoted it for sale and uh, there's two groups of people from michigan that own property down here just for hunting there's some guys from New York. They're dairy farmers. I've met them several occasions and talked to them. They seem pretty nice, but that's what they do. That's kind of like their vacation from the dairy farming as they come down here to hunt. We're coming up on, uh, we're on Niles Road. It appears going to be the Walton Calvert Junction, uh, or what I call junction. It's just a T in the road. Niles Road at one time was always regarded as a really rough area to be in. Seemed like there for a while sheriff was always coming out somebody was getting arrested or somebody was either getting a fight with somebody or whatever there was a couple of people that was into marijuana and done some things but that was the thing that surprises me between now and when i was a kid was my neighbor up until last october that man's been in and out of jail and done drugs or marijuana pretty much all of his life good neighbors does i mean they never bother us never do nothing i run around and play with his kids but none of that was ever made aware to any of us kids of what was going on we were never actually presented or showed to us or they kept us out of it i mean it, it never involved us from being on the fire service and working for his deputy jailer and everything and being on the ambulance now it just blows my mind how many kids are growing up in houses with parents standing in the kitchen cooking methamphetamines and the drugs laying right out in front of them. I had to go to high school before I ever really seen my first joint or 
knew what marijuana was, I had to get out on a full or adventure out and find a patch for myself by accident before I'd seen it. I mean, right. <laughs> uh, you would hear somebody get arrested, you know, for growing marijuana or doing something, but I never seen it. As a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s out here, though, all we were worried about was being kids. And we were turned loose. I mean, it's in town, I couldn't turn my kids loose. I was worried about what was going to happen to them or what influences were going to be around them. several years triple c firearms that was my first experience with guns and learning to gunsmith on them and do things i was taught that was owned by family as a kid i was allowed to mess with black powder of course because of legal restrictions and everything there was no age restriction on black powder so i was allowed to sell some of that and mess with it and of course the newer guns and stuff i handled them and well, explain to folks that maybe aren't familiar with firearms. Like black powder is like going back to like almost like musket technology. Black powder is a single projectile that you load from the end of the muzzle. Uh, we call them black powder guns. They're flintlock, caplock, muskets, mountain men type movies somebody'd see on TV or the Revolutionary War, Civil War. So you fire a shot, then have to. Then you have to by hand reload, put powder in it put your patch and your bullet and you got to shove that all the way down the barrel and then you got to reprime it either with a steel cap or put powder into a frizzing pan set your flint and fire again i noticed it's kind of come back recently there's an enthusiasm for it it runs in fads i did participate in some mountain man shoots and stuff when i was younger that was a lot of fun that come up for a spell and it's kind of died off there was a big boom for black powder guns then traditionally then it was the mountain man era the Hawking, long rifle, and uh, Kit Carson, some different ones, style guns, uh, Kentucky long rifle, Tennessee long rifle, and Pennsylvania. What's the appeal of just knowing how to do it? I think the general interest in it with anymore is uh, there's a lot of younger generation and uh, some of my age are getting interested into the ways that uh, used to be. Uh, like I've tinkered with blacksmithing and uh, some of the front what i call the frontier pre-revolution french and indian war era how they survived how they made their tools how they done things uh, i think people just want to know and it, it's a lost skill on being able to do that stuff and now the ones that are learning how to do it it's considered an art more than it is a skill but i think it's useful to know what people come from and how they right done things well especially if society ever collapses it is and we're so dependent on grocery stores i heard something on the radio the other day that the uh, food and ag culture is actually trying to encourage people to go back to small family gardens and stuff to help sustain things because there is such a draw for commercialized groceries and everything but I do my own garden I mean you get what you put into it it's a lot healthier I think than some of the stuff you get from the store as a boy during the winter months and stuff it was too cold for me to get out my grandfather set me up a little station there in the gun store off to the side I built models, and uh, particularly World War II aircraft, and I would sit there and I would listen to all these men come in and tell their tall tales and stories. Mm -hmm. We would get a lot of veterans that would come in. My grandfather was a coal miner, and he stayed out in the store a lot. 
they would drink coffee and tell their stories and they would talk about different things from the war, different things from life, coal mining. I was never a coal miner, but a lot of men in my family were coal miners. And so I learned a lot about it. Where we're sitting at right now, the driveway, is actually my house. I'm the fourth generation on this little farm. And the door you're looking at here was the gun shop. I didn't start hunting until I was about 17, primarily because nobody in my family really hunted. Because we had the gun shop, we stayed busy during deer season. And that's when I got to participate in a lot of work. Of course, with the black powder, like if you don't take care of your powder and maintain your gun in cold weather and stuff and take certain steps to ensure it stays dry and doesn't collect moisture, it'll misfire on you. Well, then you've got a stuck ball down a barrel. And my job during gun season and stuff uh, when I wasn't in school was to stay here at the gun shop with them and now I actually got paid to remove the ball from the barrel. People bring them in, they get go out hunting that morning, miss a deer because it wouldn't fire, mm. get mad and they'd bring it here to us and I'd get the ball extracted out, clean the gun up for them and send them back on their way. But Back to the, the vets that came in, do you remember any stories in particular about World War II or, or any of the wars? Yes, there was a man, he's passed away now, Bill Miller. Uh, worked in the mines with my grandfather. He was a World War II veteran, paratrooper. He jumped on D-Day. He also taught me to fly remote control airplanes. He was always thankful to come home from the war, but when he jumped from the plane, he always talked about they were taking heavy flak. When he jumped from the plane, him and one other man behind him made it out, and then the plane got hit and exploded. Oh, my goodness. So he would always talk about how close it come to him biting the bullet that day. There was another fella from Vietnam. He had Agent Orange and was fighting it whenever I knew him. He uh, was a tunnel rat. would go down in the tunnels and look for him. He'd done a lot of point. Point is where he would stay by himself so many yards in front of his unit to alert them to any danger, kind of mm -hmm. like a scout. he done three tours in Vietnam. He always said for something for him, it, uh, it always got so bad where they were at that he pretty much just gave himself up for dead. And that's the way he fought every time they got in a fight was he was already dead, so it didn't matter what happened. And, of course, he did come home. Did he get sick from Agent Orange? Yes, he developed Agent Orange from being in Vietnam. Uh, it was a chemical they used to spray to kill vegetation. Mm -hmm. Took out a lot of soldiers. Sure. Cancer is what yeah. it created. There was another fella that flew helicopters in Vietnam. He was a side gunner. I heard a story he told one time kind of stuck in my head said they kept going out for missions and they gotten a young pilot in who was gung-ho and was always volunteering them for suicide missions and Golly. said they finally they had enough of him and <laughs> they finally went out one day and told him said that he was going to quit volunteering for missions otherwise he wasn't going to come back Not long after I got married, we had a house right here. It was the middle of the night. Me and my wife were in bed, and I'm one of those people that sleep with a fan, and if that fan quits in the night, it wakes me up instantly. And the power went out. Of course, out here, it ain't nothing for your power to blink or something from a storm or whatever can knock it out or make it act up. Sometimes you can almost know if there's been a wreck where somebody's hit a pole or something. It just 
an odd time of the day, not a storm or nothing going on, and the power all of a sudden goes out. But this night here, when I come out and look, my neighbors, and we can see here, they had light. People across the street had light. And I was trying to figure out what was going on. And right in the wood line right there was a, uh, oh, an SUV. I don't remember exactly what model it was now. It was a nicer one. It was an expensive SUV. And I didn't see it right off, but I was standing at the side of my truck. At the time, we still had a home phone. And cell phones were not, not as big as they are today. My cell phone I had was pretty much for work. It stayed in my truck. Uh, I was working the ambulance service then and uh, teaching concealed weapons classes. And this kid comes running out of the woods towards me, hollering he needed a ride. He took me by surprise and I hollered at him to stop. And I shined a flashlight on him. And uh, he didn't stop at first. He had his hand in his pocket. So I pulled a gun I had laying in the seat of the truck out and I just made it known I had it and finally got him to stop and got him to talk to me and he said he had wrecked his truck and he was trying to get to his sister's and I never would let him get very close to me because I that time of night the kid just coming out of nowhere I couldn't I didn't know where the truck was at I couldn't see it he'd pointed up this way and I made him show me where the truck was and the telephone here that broke off up there he actually hit that pole and when I got up there looking in it, there was women's purse in it, some women's clothes, shoes, and Virginia Slim cigarettes, which was most commonly smoked by women. And I was talking to him, and I told him I'd call him a record, and they'd give him a ride to his sister's, and he was kind of okay with that. I had told him I was going to call KU so they'd come fix my telephone pole, get my power back, that he'd knock my power out. And he was starting to get antsy at that point. What he didn't know was I had called the police department, which being on the ambulance service, I knew that dispatch office very well. And they in turn contacted the cops while I was on the phone with them to come out this way and see what was going on. But uh, he called on to the conversation that I wasn't talking just to KU. And he took off running through the woods and I tried to watch where he went, but uh, I eventually lost sight of him. But whenever uh, I waited here at my house, when the state police showed up, they run the truck, it was a SUV, it was stolen from Hopkinsville. And the funny thing was, after they figured out who it belonged to, it was a juvenile who had a history of running away, and he had an ankle bracelet on with a tracker. The whole time though, that he was wanting me to give him a ride, he kept saying he wanted to go to the spool hole. The spool hole around here was just an old mine fill-in that has filled up with water. And over the years, people would go swimming at it and right. fish at it and stuff. We call them stripper pits Yeah, in Indiana. That's all it is. It's a strip pit. Just somehow or another, it got the name Spool Hole or Blue Hole. And I knew from growing up out here, nobody lives around it. It's just in the middle of nowhere in the woods. Mm -hmm. But that's where he wanted to go to and kept trying to tell me that's where his sister lived. There wasn't a soul that lived around that place. Right. <laughs> so I knew something was wrong with where he was wanting to go. And uh, the state police, it didn't take them 10, 15 minutes because of the bracelet he had on him. They went and got him and brought him back. He had stolen the vehicle from his foster mother who was trying to take care of him. I reckon he had been a ward of the state for a while, but he had a history of running away and doing things. So.
I was looking at a history book of Hopkins County, and there was a picture of the Pittsburgh Pirates. I don't know. It might have been back in the 20s or even earlier, and they used to train in your hometown of Dawson Springs. What I do know about that was uh, there was a thing called the Hamby Whale in Dawson, but it's a natural mineral spring, and somehow or another that mineral water kind of got a name for having a lot of healing properties right around the turn of the century. And Dawson become a boom town because of that mineral water. And people would come from all over to drink it, bath in it, and you know, do whatever with it. And uh, made Dawson quite a little interesting place back there in that time. Were they ever able to confirm it did anything? No, it's actually some of the nastiest water you'll ever take. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, from what I've tasted of it. <laughs> yeah. uh, it phased out. I mean, you can still... There's some of it... Uh, I think they've still got one little place in Dawson. I don't think they bottle it anymore. Haven't in several years. So they were bottling nasty water? Uh, they were bottling it as like a novelty for for a long time. Uh-huh. You can get it in Dawson Mineral Water. But yeah, they got famous enough that uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates built a training camp in Dawson Springs and they would send them down here because of that to train through the summer. Uh, There are a few pictures of different pirate players and teams to kind of grab a hold of that history and keep it going. They built a park in Dawson which is we're in the city now called Tradewater Pirates and they had a semi-pro college group that was playing down here. Dawson couldn't afford to keep them I don't know if it was bad management or just Dawson didn't have enough to offer for people to come see them play along with just seeing them play. I mean, that's basically all there was in Dawson is to come down here and eat and watch a team play. They sold out to Madisonville, and now that trade, what used to be Tradewater Pirates, semi-pro college is now uh, Madisonville Miners, uh, who has that group. Dawson had a lot of uh, small businesses up through the 50s. I mean, there was a Ford Chevy dealership, a lot of little gas stations. Well, we were talking about, I guess it's something that plagues both our towns. I live in Madisonville and you live in Dawson Springs. Is the local politics, the town fathers or whatever you want to call them, they have a tendency to run off business. Yeah, we just passed the industrial park here. Uh, used to have a lot several factories right here I was volunteer fire fighter down here for a long time and of course I was on ambulance and I listened and heard a lot of things the problem that I always had with them they've got and the older generation is still over the city council and there's been several times through my time of being down here around it that factories would try to come in and they would ask for what I viewed as something simple last one that I knew of was they asked for a five-year tax diversion and the city refused to give it to them because they said they couldn't do without the money that never made sense to me their logic and something like that they're not getting the money now so what's it going to hurt them to wait five more years for something they know they're going to have and they would benefit immediately if they would benefit immediately because they would be using their water system their sewer system employees uh, employees buying more gas and more things and tax dollars that's the other thing they they want businesses to come in but yet when it comes to big events or things they host they'll source that from outside the city instead of keeping their tax dollars here in the city 
they want Dawson to be big again and they want it to grow, but yet they're not willing to really let go of some of the things they need to let go of right. to allow it to happen. Right. Uh, call it bad politics, bad decisions. I guess what it is, it's a lot of old school way of thinking that I never was really around and I see things a little bit different from being a younger generation than what some of them do. Yeah, and Madisonville, I've heard several stories about companies from Europe and Canada trying to you know, set up a factory in Kentucky because we got the workforce, and uh, this the town trying to make them jump through so many hoops. They just finally kind of give them middle finger, and they move to some other state that is just bending over backwards to get them. You know, one factory I knew it wanted to come was a mobile home factory, and they're over in uh, city of Marion now, up towards uh, uh, Cavin Rock right there on the other side of Illinois and Kentucky uh, where the river's at the city just wouldn't work with them so they Marion was more than happy to have them Dawson's got on the tourism ban wanting tourism they've tried to make a name for it calling it the first trail town they took Penarile State Park out here and made some trails on it for horse riding and uh, Dawson has tried to capitalize on that to uh cater to the horse people I call them people that like to ride horses and take them camping and do that type of thing they thought it would be a grand idea to allow people to ride their horse and wagons through town and it would attract more people more tourism more business yeah how many people have horses and wagons <laughs> not a lot they've got what they call the Dawson barbecue festival which is coming up it was really big at one time, but with the industry leaving, it's dwindled down to pretty much little to nothing. So your son, you said, came home one day from school asking about, had you heard about a bizarre plant growing in your, uh, was it Dawson High School? It was Dawson High School. It was my senior year, and at that time, the school's policy was none of the kids were allowed to go to class until first bell. We all had together in the lobby. And uh, I had come in that morning, and with the group I hung around with, there was always one particular, he, uh, he liked to smoke marijuana. Other than being around him while I was in school, I was never really around him out of school. I just knew him in school and talked to him while I was here. Uh, I went to trade school my senior year, so I was only here for a couple hours in the morning. But uh, we come in that morning and we were sitting where we usually sit, which was on some benches next to a bunch of planters. They had some flyers and shrubbery inside the lobby. The lobby's got a big skylight over it. They told us not to go to class when the first bell rang, told all the high schoolers stay seated. Well, they decided to have a inspection day, they called it. About twice a year, the police would come up here. Sometimes they'd bring us drug dogs, sometimes they wouldn't. Sometimes they'd just patch your pockets or make you turn them in and out. Mm -hmm. This was the high school lobby. He got real nervous because he didn't have any marijuana on him, but he had some seeds on him. And he said, man, I got to do something with these. Of course, they wouldn't let nobody go to the bathroom. And he, he was scared to death he was going to get caught with them seeds. He was wanting to pass them off to somebody. And he kind of got mad at me for doing it, but he was sitting next to me. I said, well, hand them here. He said, were you going to hold them? I said, well, I don't know. Hand them here. 
I got my hands on this little bag with a couple of seeds in it. And I just took it and dumped it out in the planter sitting next to me. <laughs> and uh, kind of patted them down in there. And we went on about our day and never give another thought about it. Well, the janitors and whoever done it, I say janitors, they went through about their way. And finally, all of a sudden, one day, it was pointed out that there was about these six or eight inch tall plants that were growing in our lobby. <laughs> It ended up being marijuana, and we all we all just got a great big kick out of it. And the students never would say nothing or point it out. Right. And finally, I guess a teacher, administration staff, or something seen it, and they yanked them all out. And there was kind of something said about it. I think they were trying to figure out who could have done it or what. But by that time, I had done graduation. It had come, and I was gone. And it was kind of unique that my son come home and asked me about it because I had forgotten about it. How did he know uh, about it? This I guess because a lot of the ones that he's in class with were parents that I went to school with. Somewhere along the lane. They're somebody, still telling that story. <laughs> the he guy. didn't know it come from me. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, that was the one thing I, I can honestly say I've never done in my life. Yeah. Is smoked anything or done anything like that. It wasn't because I didn't know how to get it. I knew what students done it. And I knew where they were going to find it and stuff just from talking. But it never appealed to me. All right. I've been downtown and watched somebody light one up, and the thought never crossed my mind to ask to join in. I mean, yeah, it, my theory is it makes you a dumber person, <laughs> and, and I'm already dumb as it is, so I don't need any more dumbness. Buck has a handful of more stories to share about Hopkins County, including some tales about teacher infidelities, free Obama phones, illegal riverboat parties political party machine bullies, and the Ku Klux Klan, but we'll save those for another day and another episode. In the meantime, if you'd like to drive around and learn about Nashville, Tennessee, check out In the Corner Back by the Woodpile, episode 92. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram using the name spuncounterguy. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And we are now on iTunes. Just do a search for Back by the Woodpile on the iTunes store and we should pop up. And a special thanks to thebrofisticate.com.